There's a very famous pastor from the 1990s named John Maxwell, and John Maxwell started out in a small church in Hillham, Indiana. It was, it was he, his wife, and one other person named Claude, and that was the first service in Hillham, Indiana. And at those days, he was a Nazarene, so one of the many denominations in the United States is the Church of the Nazarene, and like many denominations, they had a gathering every year that was a uh, just everybody in the denomination come together and kind of sh get a shot in the arm and be encouraged. And they'd always have platform speakers, speakers on the big stage that talked to all the Nazarene pastors. And these were pastors that typically had uh, taken a church and that church had gone from say 100 to 300 or from 300 to 500 or something or build a big building. And so uh, John Maxwell hit a year where his church had gone from a handful to several hundred and he got invited to speak uh, to the, and be a platform speaker. And initially he was really excited and he couldn't wait to share about all the ways the church had grown and, and principles that they could learn. And as he was reflecting on it, he realized how much he hated going to those denominational gatherings because he was sitting in the audience and he was like, well, I'm just in Hillham, right? And so he decided to change his talk and instead he gave this talk, uh, my seven biggest failures and what I've learned from them. He said, not only was it packed out, but when it was done, they gave him a standing ovation. Now, why on earth, right, was that the case? Because he taught from a posture of humility, right? One of the biggest things that we despise in other people is pride. We hate it when another set of parents think they're parenting better than us and they want to let us know that our parenting stinks. We kind of hate it and despise it when th people think they're better than us because they come from a part of the country or their parents or their lineage or any kind of thing. Uh, it really grates on us. And I want to cue you in on something. Uh, God feels the same way. And we're going to put up this passage from James chapter 4. Uh, God feels the same way. He gives us grace generously, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the Ah, oh, isn't this good news? This is good news. Now, unfortunately for you and me, humility often does not come about in our lives because of success, because of fame or recognition, or because of accomplishments. No young man at the age of 19 who's playing for the Wildcats and that year hits the NCAA championship, that young man does not walk about with true humility, right? <laughs> no person, their first or second year in sales and their salesman, saleswoman of the year walks about in humility. It's not accomplishments or success, no humility. Humility is often cultivated in this garden of hard times failure and loss. When Jenny and I were expecting our first child, uh, so we were, Jenny was pregnant for the first time, we're going to be first-time parents, we read a ton of books. Can I just tell you, I, I read 15 books that, that nine-month period, and we were ready. She was a teacher, I was a children's pastor, we were going to raise our kids right. We were going to do all the right things. They were going to be on a schedule. They were going to sign language and not wah, 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 like, you know, stinky kids. We were going to be awesome parents. And then God gave us three strong-willed firstborn children in a row <laughs> who were strongly committed to their way of seeing reality. 
And you know what that did for Jenny and me? It cultivated in us what's called parental humility. I don't, if you've been at Generations any length of time, you probably noticed there's never been a seven-week series on five keys to raising godly children, three steps to producing successful kids. Like, you're not going to get that from me. <laughs> you're going to get parental humility. And here's the thing. God wants us, God wants us to be humble. The problem is, it isn't a gift. It's not like some people, you know, Mother Teresa, God bless her, she was gifted with the gift, the spiritual gift of humility. <laughs> you know, no, humility is something that you grow into. And so I want to look at one of the harder sayings of Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 17. If you brought a paper Bible, you can open it to Luke chapter 17. But Jesus gives several lessons in humility in a row in Luke chapter 17. And the reason he's doing that is because he wants his friends, his followers, the disciples, not to fall into the trap of the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. Remember, in the first century, there was... I know it's not like that now, but in the first century, there were a group of very religious people, and because they did all the right things the right way, they thought they were better than everybody else. Again, not like that today, but in the first century, <laughs> you know, first century, there were people actually like that, and, and so Jesus didn't want them to fall into that trap. And so uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17, and we're going to ch chunk it uh, several verses at a time, and I want to explain this passage to you. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, there will always be temptations to sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. It'd be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. Temptations to sin. Uh, the NIV puts it this way, things that cause people to sin. I love the message translation. Hard trials and temptations are bound to come. Let's all pretend we're Pentecostals for a moment. I'm gonna say that statement, you react the way a good Pentecostal would. Hard trials and temptations are bound to come. Amen. The ESV puts it this way, temptations to sin are sure to come. There's a Greek word there, ta scandalon. Scandalon, does that sound like a word you know? Scandalon, <laughs> right? It means, uh, to put, to trip someone up by putting something in their path that causes them to fall. When it comes to faith, it has to do with trapping or enticing someone into false belief. In other words, there are gonna be the times in your life where your faith is tested. There are gonna be times in your life where you will trip up and you will fail. And in those moments, you can become very judgmental of other people and less forgiving. You can in those moments. And so Jesus says, watch out. But if you're the reason that someone else is tripped up, you know what Jesus is basically saying? You in trouble. That's what he's saying. You in trouble. That's the whole millstone throwing to sea. I don't know if you know that. It's a bad outcome. <laughs> really bad outcome. It's why Christian pastors and leaders are warned in the Bible that we're gonna be held to a tougher standard because of what we teach. In other words, we have a greater potential to trip people up in their faith uh, because our actions could upset the faith of someone who trusts Jesus. We're seeing this now among our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. 
There's a problem in the United States, in the Roman Catholic Church, of not just abuse, but abuse that is being covered up, not brought on into the light, not prosecuted, swept under the rug. Uh, the Philadelphia Report said that there were over 300, 300 priests who abused children, and over 1,000 young men and women or kids who were abused. Um, it's a scandal on. In other words, you're going to encounter people in America whose faith in Jesus Christ and allegiance to the church is gone because they were tripped up by this. And let's be honest, it's not just Roman Catholics, right? I meet all kinds of people and they grew up Baptist or Free Methodist or interdenominational or any number of things and they have a story about a pastor who abused them or a church leader or a church that was so hateful they did something that wounded them permanently. In other words, they encountered a scandal on and they were tripped up in the faith. Jesus is saying, you want to avoid this? You want to avoid becoming a scandal on? Walk in humility. Walk in humility. Um, he continues and he says, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there's repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. Look, you're a social animal. You are, you didn't learn to walk all by yourself. You didn't learn to talk all by yourself. You're a social animal. You live in community with, in, and around other people and that guarantees that somebody's gonna hurt you and you're gonna hurt somebody, it's gonna happen. And Jesus says, that's because we're sinners, we're broken. So what do you do if you're on the receiving end of a scandal on, if you're on the receiving end of an abuse, an offense, someone who hurts you? If it's someone in the church, Jesus basically says, there's two things, rebuke that person. Rebuke, that means confrontation. What you did, what you said hurt me. You took something from me. Burn in hell, right? However you want to express that, right? Face-to-face -face confrontation. It's, and if, if they repent, if they're genuinely sorry and repentant, we're told forgive. And, and that doesn't change if they're repentant how many times? A lot. <laughs> okay? Um, now, I know I encounter a lot of times people will say, um, Max, if someone keeps doing it over and over again, they're not really sorry, so I'm not gonna forgive them. I don't know about you, but in my life, there are things that I do over and over again that I ask God to forgive me about, and it's not that I'm not really sorry about them, it's just like I'm stuck in this habit and I can't seem to get out of this bad habit or this bad way of thinking, and I go to God every time and God forgives me, right? And I think what God is saying is, hey, I'm showing you grace, forgive. What do the disciples say in light of this? What do they say? Um, we need some more faith here. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but there are times in scriptures where the disciples say, teach us to pray. Uh, there are times where they say, Jesus, could you explain this? In response to Jesus' statements here, the disciples, the people that are his friends and following him, they say, we need more faith. <laughs> like. Given where we are now, eh, it's not gonna play out. Like, we need more faith. And Jesus is saying, look what he goes. 
If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, there's a lot going on here. And I think one of the things that Jesus is saying is not to the disciples, well, you don't have any faith. He's saying, if you just have a little bit of faith, and you have a little bit of faith. In other words, the issue isn't that you don't have faith. You just got to put it into action. Um, a mulberry tree, a black mulberry tree from this time period uh, had an extensive root system. So in the first century saying uproot a mulberry tree, anyone that worked you know, agriculturally would be chuckling. <laughs> you don't uproot a mulberry tree. You can dig and dig and dig and chop and chop and chop and chop and it's still there in the ground. <laughs> like it, it's not gonna happen. And Jesus is saying, no, no, it'll, it's gone, right? There's a reason that we don't forgive. And a lot of times it's because we're not sure that God's got things and we're not sure that God's got us. And it's hard and I get it. And if you're here and this is the first time you're hearing about forgiveness, I refer you back to a long set of sermon series from uh, People Are Awesome Until They Stink where I talk about forgiveness for several weeks, right? Um, but just, uh, in a nutshell, forgiveness is simply deciding that somebody doesn't owe you anymore. And it's not easy, but it's a decision that and, and, and a process. It's both, okay? Humility makes it a little easier to forgive others. Now, not all old people are humble, but there are old people who are humble, right? And what are the things that come out of their mouths? I was like that once. I was like that once. I know what that is. I did that for a decade. You know, I have a temper. I've done some things I'm not proud of. And what they're saying and ooding and oozing is humility. And that humility makes it easier to forgive the knuckleheadedness in someone else. Well, if that weren't enough, Jesus really drives the point home in verses 7 and following. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of the sheep, does the master say, come in and eat with me? No, no. The master says, prepare my meal, put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we're unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. I hope in you, you have the same thing I have when I read that. It was like, um, Jesus, can we back the truck up here? <laughs> really? Really? Okay, so let me kind of unpack this a little bit. Un unworthy servants, right? Unworthy servants. There's a word here that's used, and it's the word doulos. Um, doulos is someone who has chosen to serve his master until death. Uh, there's a provision in Exodus 21 where it says, look, if because you've got a wife or kids or family or any number of reasons, you're at a point where even though you're free to go, you want to stay and you want to serve your master, bring your ear, it'll get pierced a certain way and it'll be an indicator that for the rest of your life, you serve that master. Um, and it was a choice kind of a thing. Now, we hear the idea of servant or bond servant, and because we're Americans and it's 2018, like we have a visceral reaction to that because part of our 
uh, history as Americans is a history of chattel slavery, where one race enslaves another race. You need to know in, in the Roman Empire, it didn't work that way. Um, Lots of races, everybody could be a slave, everybody could be a master. Um, and the ways that you kind of ended up in slavery was one, you opposed the Roman legions when they were coming into your town or country and you got defeated. That's a quick way to get into slavery. Rome would always give people the option, if you wanna just sign on, we'll walk in, put up the banner, we're good to go. <laughs> and some people are like, no, no, we'll take you. And it didn't play out well for them. So you could get defeated by Rome and become a slave that way. You could get into debt, so you could be an outstanding person and then get leveraged to the point where you're in trouble and you become a debt slave. So you end up in slavery to, in a sense, pay your debts, but you can never pay them off. That's how the system worked. It was not a great system. And the third way is that if you wanted a particular job, so there were certain kinds of jobs that were actually somewhat desirable, but in order to get them, you, you needed to become a doulos. And so there were doulosses that were in charge of lots of things. And then there were doulosses that weren't in charge of much at all. And so there was a lot of variance. What I'm saying to you, it's not like our history. It's different in the Roman Empire. But what Jesus is saying here is at the end of the day, no matter how much good we do, no matter how much obedience we offered, it's not like God owes us. God doesn't owe us. It's not like at the end of the day, God's you know, Mother Teresa outside the gates are all like, oh my goodness, let her in. I mean, this is amazing. She's done so much. And God's like, oh my goodness, I'm so indebted to you. How could I ever repay you for everything that you've done? So Jesus is kind of painting this picture where he wants to make sure that we're clear in our minds because he's talking about what again? Humility, Humility right? Remember what he's talking about. Remember what he's talking about, okay? So I have some questions. The first question is simply, have you in your life and in your walk of faith encountered a scandal on? Where somebody, where a church or, or something has tripped you up in following Jesus. It could be something like, my parents hated each other, they got divorced and both of them claimed to love the Lord and it, you know, I was picking up the pieces for a long time. Any number of things. Has there been a scandal on that's tripped you up? Are there things in your life right now that Jesus might say what he said in the first part of this passage? Whoa, whoa, watch yourself, be careful, be careful. In other words, you're skirting around possibly being a scandal on for someone else. And then another question, why are we sometimes slow to forgive? Why is that? Why are we sometimes slow to forgive? Is God really big enough to sort it all out? And then, do I really believe that hard times are a good place to grow? I would hazard to bet that if most Americans were polled, they would say, no, 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 listen. The way it works is I go to college, I do really well, everybody claps for me, I get an awesome internship at one of the best places in the United States, they all clap at me and tell me I'm awesome, and then I move on to something else, and that's how I grow and become an amazing person. Uh, if you think that way, just talk to some of the old people in the room today. <laughs> people with gray hair sticking out out of their chin or their head, they would love to talk to you, right? Um, that's not a good pathway for growing as a person especially growing in humility. So how can you take this home and apply this? I wanna to talk to parents for a moment. If you're a parent, I don't care if you've got kids who are in high school or kids who are adult children. 
I'm going to suggest something to you that may fly in your face a little bit, kind of radical. Uh, but Jenny and I have done this with our kids when they've hit high school, right? And that is, if you're raising kids or have adult, uh, adult children, take a moment, take a time when they're ready and you're ready and name for them your unresolved issues. That's the way young people like to talk about sin habits is they talk about them in terms of, well, my mom, you know, my dad, they've got issues. <laughs> That's how we talk about it, right? But when you name those things to them, especially when they're in high school or they're older, what happens is you remove a huge potential scandal on for them and their faith. Because I can't tell you how many kids, uh, their parents, because there's this hypocrisy thing or it seems like mom or dad are totally clueless about when you name those things. And so, and Jenny and I found this with John Mark, with Jillian, with our older two adoptive children. You know, when I've said, um, I'm on an emotional growth curve that's really slow. And I, you know, and none of my kids go, no, dad, that's so not true. So the first thing that's gonna happen is your kids aren't gonna argue with you and go, no, 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 <laughs> right? But it's gonna, it's just gonna let the, it's gonna let a lot of tension out in the relationship. And it's gonna bring about the potential for a lot of freedom. Because what you're doing as a parent is you're giving your kid a front row seat to God's grace. Right? All of us approach God the same way as needy sinners. And they're seeing, oh, mom and dad are approaching God the same way that I need to approach God. Got it. Ding, ding, okay. The second thing is you kind of need other people. You can't grow into humility if you cloister yourself away in this place in nowhere, Kentucky, and live by yourself. It's going to be really hard to grow in humility without other people. You need other people to do this. In other words, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but all of the commands of scripture, you can't do them by yourself. Have you figured this out? You need other people. You do. You can't live out the commands of scripture all by yourself in a non-clave. I know it sounds great because a lot of us here are introverts and you're like, sign me up. <laughs> but what they found in the Middle Ages when monks f uh, founded monasteries and they were going to make these, these amazing places of holiness and everything else, they found that they didn't, they didn't leave the sin problem out there in the cities. They brought the sin problem with them because they came, <laughs> okay, All right? And the last thing is practice this here. Here in this place among this community of faith at Generations Community Church, there are people who are wanting to walk in humility. There are people who are wanting to learn to forgive easily and quickly. One of the things that we do at Generations is that uh, where Jesus says rebuke, we have this uh, code of conduct thing where we deal direct. Any, so anytime somebody comes to me about something about Matt, where'd Matt go? Man, worship, blah, 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 right? I don't say to them, well, I'll take care of that. I, the first question I typically ask is, have you talked to Matt? And then if they say no, I'll go, well, when will you do that? And if you're scared, I will go with you. Because um, we want to do these kind of things directly because it, it gives us the potential to make the relationships right. All right, so those are some practical things to take this whole idea home. If I could be honest for a moment, when we launched Generations Community Church in 2003, um, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. So I've done some reflecting recently and I realized this about myself. So in 2003, 2004, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder and I was convinced, I was convinced, Bill, that 
we could build a better church. We are gonna be better than those other stinker churches down the road, and by golly, we're just gonna have better leadership and, and better strategy and better this and that. And, and, uh, and a number of us at the time, we were convinced that if we just did these better things, like in a matter of months, we'd be hundreds of people, because you know, people love better. It's just America, you know, the way it works. Now, that didn't happen for a number of reasons that I won't go into, but if you want them, I'll, I'll have coffee and we can talk about it. Uh, but today, today, I'm actually really glad that we didn't kind of explode numerically those first few years because I'm just gonna be honest, I would not have handled it well. <laughs> I would not have handled it well. It would have gone completely to my head. I would have been one of those, let me tell you about church, it's real simple. Three things. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I, I would have done that, and I would have been that guy, okay? No one ever learns humility from success or fame or accomplishments. And because God wants us to be humble, God's, there's a good chance he's going to put things in our lives that are hard, that, ha that have the potential to make us humble people. Because once again, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble.